Uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 29 today. Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 29. We've got a prayer service this afternoon. Did, that, did you announce that, Andrew? I don't remember that. Prayer service this afternoon. Uh, it's one of our Ask prayer services. Uh, man, they're good. Good stuff. Five o'clock at uh, Fifth Street. I think, is, is that right? Somebody's got a bulletin. I think it should be at Fifth Street. So it's our Fifth Street campus, five o'clock. And uh, we'll spend an hour uh, praying and praising. That's basically what we do. Uh, it's directed prayer uh, from from me, from the pulpit, or Pastor Andrew, Pastor Chris. And uh, we go through different categories of prayer. And it's just uh, it's just a great time of seeking the Lord. Uh, you ever feel like God's kind of urging you on to pray? You know, I felt that as we were singing that last song. You know, I see a near revival coming. You know, I mean, I just feel my spirit. God saying, come on, ask for it, ask for it. And so come tonight. Come at 5 o'clock, 5th Street Campus. We'll be having our ask prayer meeting. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 14. I'm going to begin verse 22. You shall tithe. Oh, that's never what you want to hear in the first words of a sermon, is it? You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain and your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when, when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far for you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat it there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom as we work through this passage today. I pray, Father, help me to speak only what is truth. Uh, God, help me to communicate effectively of your glory, your goodness, your provision, your majesty. God, help us to trust you and to fear you in response to the word of God this morning. Father, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to work in us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, talking to my brother uh, last night. It was his birthday. And I was talking to him on the phone, and he said, "What are you preaching on tomorrow?" And I said, "Well, I'm, I'm preaching on tithing, you know, on, on out of Deuteronomy chapter 14." So we're going through the book of Deuteronomy. He said, "Oh, are you, are you guys running low?" And he said, "Are you? He said, are you running low?" And, and then right on the heels of that, he said, "Are you guys raising money for something?" And I said, "No, no, we're not." Uh, but isn't it interesting that that's the first response of a lot of people when when you know pastors have to preach a, a sermon on giving or tithing or whatever? You know, I mean that that's often the first response is he must he must be doing that as a plea for money. Well, let me just let me just say no, okay? That may be the thought in your mind as well. Uh, I'm not I'm not asking for money. Uh, there is no great project that we're doing right now except the ministry of the local church, which we continue to do. Uh, we're doing great financially. Okay, I don't know if you uh, come to our business meetings or ever look at the financial reports, but God has just poured out a blessing on our church. And so give him glory today. Uh, praise God for that. Uh, so, you know, both of those really know that's not why we're doing that. Um, it, you know, 
kind of along with that question is is kind of the, always the little awkwardness of when a sermon is on giving or money or tithing. And I'm not even sure why that is awkward when uh, sermons on sexual morality or gossip or slander or any other topic are not just, to, to me, would seem to be just as awkward. Um, but, but even a lot of Christians get nervous when we speak about giving. I had a guy in, in this church tell me one time, he said, man, you, you got to be careful of doing that. You're going to run people off. He said, aren't you afraid you're going to run people off? You start talking about giving. Um, well, I, I am afraid actually, but that's not really what I'm afraid of. I, I'm really afraid of not preaching on giving. That, that's what, actually what I'm afraid of. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid of skipping passages like this. Uh, for several reasons. Number one, money is a huge part of your life. Um, you mostly you work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week for money. I mean, that's why you do it. If, if they took away the money, I'm really convinced that most of you probably wouldn't be doing what you're doing. I mean, there, there's a real reason why you work and money is a huge part of your lives. You need money for your families. Uh, the AC units right now, if you go out about three o'clock in the afternoon, have you, have you seen your little deal spinning? You know, I'll I, I go out and look at mine sometimes, you know, it, sometimes it's going so fast I can't see it. That black mark's just like streaming by, you know. Uh, gas tanks are on E that takes money. Kids need braces. That takes money. Kids need shoes. That takes money. Manhattan's at that awkward spot right now where he's just kind of growing real fast. And it's like, you know, we buy him shoes and he's like out of them. And yesterday I just told him, he came and said, dad, I don't have any. I said, go in my closet and get some shoes. You know, his feet are the same size as mine now. And I'm just like, I got all the shoes I had since high school. Go pick you out some. They're all cool, son. You know, I, I mean, uh, well, that takes money. Yeah, it's just, that's just life. So money is a huge part of our lives. Not only is money a huge part of our lives, but money can be and is to many folks, maybe most folks, can be a false god. And lots of folks are really convinced that the answer to their stress, the answer to their sadness, the answer to their frustration, the answer to their unhappiness, the answer to their marriage, the answer to their family, a lot of people, whether they would voice it or not, are really convinced the answer to that is if I had more money, this would all be better. I mean, a lot of people really believe that. Well, whenever we say things like that or think things like that about something, that this is the answer to my life, this is the answer to my problem, if only I had more of this, then all, I, I would be well, it would be well with my soul. That's a false God. That, 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 that's worshiping something, depending on something, trusting in something that's not going to be able to deliver. So, so lots of reasons why money is crucial that we link it with a right understanding of God. And how do we live out our faith as Christians um, with money? Uh, what we, you know what? We demonstrate what's valuable by money. Have you ever thought of that? That's another big one. Uh, I mean, when, when you think about what is valuable to me, you open up your checkbook and you see what is valuable to you. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Uh, we spend money on things that we love, things that we, we enjoy, things that we delight in, things that we believe will, will, will bless our lives. So lots of different reasons why. So basically when it comes up on, on, in a passage that, through a book that we're, we're going through, normally there are exceptions to this. When we were going through 1 Corinthians, there was a passage on money in chapter 16, and I, I skipped it. Um, just, I just didn't feel like it was, I don't know. And I kind of knew this was coming, and so I knew we'd pick it up. Um, but most of the time when we're working through a book and there's a passage on money, there's a passage on giving, there's a passage on tithing, I'm going to try to, um, address that passage because I love you and I'm afraid of God and what he would do if I did not. So 
that's why we're doing what we're doing today. Now, if you pay attention to things like this, which probably nobody does, so this is probably a silly thing for me to do, but um, I want to talk about it for a second. If you pay attention to kind of what I preach when we go through books of the Bible, well, let me give you an example. Uh, We we were in 1 Corinthians for a a good six months, a little over six months, every Sunday. And if I remember, I don't think I missed a Sunday. I didn't take any vacation. So every Sunday for six months, we were in 1 Corinthians. Okay, 1 Corinthians has... Uh, 16 chapters in it, okay? And, and they're really small chapters compared to the chapters in Deuteronomy. They're much shorter chapters. Deuteronomy has, if I remember right, 34 chapters, and they're all pretty large, okay? We're going to spend maybe two months in Deuteronomy, okay? So this small New Testament book we spent six months in, and this large Old Testament book uh, we're, we're going to spend maybe two months in. Now, the question would be, why, why, pastor, are you doing that? Well, they're both the Word of God. They're both, they both contain truth. They're both inspired, all of that. None of that is different, okay? But what is different is that a book like 1 Corinthians is addressed to a church pretty much just like our church, okay? So the context really fits, okay? Deuteronomy is written in the context of ancient Israel, of of God's people being taken out of of slavery and being made a nation and about to enter into the promised land. And that's the context in which Deuteronomy is written. And so there are things that are not as applicable for us as a church, okay? Let me give you some examples of that. What you're going to find in Deuteronomy is you're going to find some passages about sacrifice, okay? Chapter 17, verse 1, you shall not sacrifice the Lord your God, an ox or sheep in which there's a blemish or a defect, whatever, for for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. Chapter 18, this is a good one, verse 3. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the two cheeks, and the stomach. I don't know why they get the stomach. You know, that's offensive to me as a pastor. But anyway, that's what they give. So you got these passages like this, and you're like, okay, now how exactly does that apply to my life? Well, here's the thing about those sacrificial passages, okay? They are a shadow of a future fulfillment, okay? In other words, we don't sacrifice animals. I don't know if you noticed that in our services. We have no altar here. We have no butcher shop. We don't kill anything on the stage, okay? We, we don't do that, not because we're being disobedient to the Word of God, but because we understand that those were a shadow of the real thing that was coming, and the real thing that was coming is Jesus, okay? So in the Old Testament, they knew that your sin is so bad that, that something has to die. Blood has to be shed for your sin, and so the families were commanded to take the best of their flock and to take it to the temple. And, and there in front of the, the, the priest in the temple, they would slaughter the animal for the sins of their family. And, and I, not that that doesn't have any implication for our lives. Man, I, I, that does have this deep implication, just the realization that your sin is so bad, something has to die. You know, when, when I think about those families going to the altar back in the Old Testament, I think, man, that had to be a powerful image, you know? I mean, kids always get attached to animals, everything, you know? So here you got this prized sheep, you know, and, and you're bringing it. What are we going to do with the sheep, Dad? Well, we're going we're gonna to slaughter it, you know, on the altar. Why, Dad? Because you sinned, you know? Remember when you lied? He's going to die for that. I mean, that had to be a powerful image, wouldn't it? I mean, I've even thought of, you know, trying to figure out ways to illustrate sin to our kids using the old sacrificial system, you know? I mean, wow. I mean, wouldn't that be a powerful? And we don't have sheep or goats, but we, we have five kittens right now, you know? And there's one that's white and, uh, and he hisses at me, you know? I mean, you know, the rest of them are pretty nice, but this one I'll come in and he's like, you know? And I just thought, you know, I to take that thing, you know? All right, you know, you guys sinned this week. So, you know, here's what's going to happen. I mean, wouldn't that be a powerful image of, of bad fatherhood and, and, you know, but 
That was a sacrificial system. But here's what we know from the Old Testament. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's what the Bible tells us. New Testament says Jesus is the Lamb of God. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were teaching us something about sin, teaching us something about how blood had to be shed, but they were all pointing to Jesus who would be the greater sacrifice. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can can never take away sins. Okay, he's talking about the sacrificial system. Verse 12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Amen? I mean, we we understand that. That's why we don't offer sacrifice anymore. We look to the sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who takes away all of our sins. Okay? So, there are things in Deuteronomy that don't directly apply to us. We still get truth from it. They were true. They are true. We we see what's coming. We relate it to Jesus. But we're we're not saying, okay, who where do I give the stomach to? You know, I mean, we're, we're not, we're not applying it in that direct way. Okay. There's, there's a great example right here in chapter 14. Another example, uh, chapter 14, the first 21 verses we're in verse 22, first 21 verses are about food loss. Okay. Ancient Israel, they were becoming a nation. God says, you're going to be holy. You're not going to be like any of the nations around you. And so they had these ceremonial laws and much of them were about what they could eat and couldn't eat. It was a way to separate them from the nations around them. Okay. But when Jesus came, Jesus taught us, that it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unholy, okay? It's not what you eat. It's what's come out of your mouth that makes you unholy, okay? It's not the pork chop that you ate that made you unclean before God. It's your bitter attitude, your, your ungrateful grumbling, your sharp tongue, your sinful heart that makes you unholy before God. In Matthew 15, verse 16, uh, Jesus says this, He says, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So Jesus kind of helps us understand, okay, that was the Old Testament. God was pointing you towards certain things. But now we get that God's after your heart, okay? He's after your heart. And and, and like... A lot of times God's people had trouble, you know, kind of understanding the fulfillment of these things. Peter was still kind of living as, as a ceremonial Jew and, and he wouldn't eat with Gentiles and he wouldn't eat certain foods with them. And so God gives him this vision. Remember that in Acts 10, he has a great sheet and there's all kinds of animals and reptiles and God says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, I'm not eating that stuff, God. You know, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to defile myself. God says, Hey, you don't call unclean what I call clean. And so, you know, there's this progression of, of God revealing his truth to his people. Okay. Now I say all that because here's the question at hand is the tithe in the category with the sacrificial system and food loss. Yeah, that's what a lot of people are going to say is they're going to say, well, you know, pastor, you know, I know it says you're supposed to tithe here. By the way, you may not know tithe simply means 10%. That's all that word means a 10th. Okay. So, so they were to give a 10th of um, their seed, their, their flocks, their herds uh, at this particular time. There are actually other laws in, in the, the, the Old Testament uh, that tell them to give other times as well. They actually probably gave about 20%. But there was this, this law of the tithe, 10%, that was right off the top, the first fruits to God. And, and so the question is going to be, okay, pastor, does that have any relevance for us today? Is, is that like the sacrificial system? Is that like the food laws that, that, that doesn't really apply to us today? 
You know, I mean, it's doubtful that any of you are going to go to McDonald's and, and you're going to open up your Bible to Deuteronomy 14. You're say, okay, does that, does the Big Mac have any black vulture or night hawk or ostrich or short-eared owl in it? Because I can't eat that. It's right. I mean, you're not, you're not going to do that. And, and so does the tithe, does it fall into the same category that you're not going to say, well, you know, honey, we, we need to get out our checkbook and we need to, you know, get, see how much we make and we need to give, t- you know, d- does it fall into that category? Well, uh, I'm going to give a long answer. The whole sermon is going to be the rest of the answer, okay? And to give the answer, here's what I want to do. Let's look at this passage and let's draw some truths out, okay? Let's just preach this passage. Let's let's draw some truths out and then let's see, okay, does that mesh with the New Testament? Okay, so let's just do that first and then we'll we'll come back and try to wrap it up again. So first of all, uh, what we see in this passage is that their giving of the tithe was, was an act of worship. Okay, now where do I get that? Well, through the whole thing, really. Uh, verse 23, before the Lord your God, in the place. So you're supposed to give the, the tithe in the place that God chooses. In other words, God was going to pick a place. It was Jerusalem. It would end up being Jerusalem. There was going to be a temple. That was where everybody was going to go to offer their sacrifices. And that's where they were to give their tithe. And, and their tithe was connected to going to the temple. It was connected to hearing God's word. It was connected to celebrating God's deliverance. It was connected to confessing their sins and joyful songs. It was an act of worship. In fact, look at verse 26. Okay, and says, and spend the money, whatever you desire. So you're going to buy this thing to give to the Lord. Oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice. I mean, there's a command in this passage that as you give your tithe, you are to rejoice. All right. Uh, now, now, that's clear. It, it, it's an act of worship. It's not a bill. Okay. You don't, you don't rejoice when you pay a bill, do you? You know, when you write out OG&E, you're like, oh, you know, let's sing a little song, kids. Come together, you know. Let's sing a song about electricity, you know. And then we're going to offer our, you know. You don't do that. It's a bill. You grudgingly write it out because you have to and you don't want your air conditioner to work. And so you, you send it away. But it's not an act of worship, okay. But here in Deuteronomy 14, this, this giving of the tithe was connected to the temple. It was connected to worship. It was connected to rejoicing. Now, does that mesh with the, the New Testament? It does exactly. Yes. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. Listen to this. Each one must, uh, must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. This is not about paying a bill. Okay. Don't look at it that way. Don't, don't look at giving that way. It is not about paying a bill. It is an act of worship. It is an act of rejoicing. And what does God love? God loves a cheerful giver. Whenever you give out of your resources to God and you're full of joy, it says something about your heart. You know what it says? It says, first of all, that you understand that every penny you give, really, it's it's God's in the first place. Remember last week's sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 8? Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. How would you get the money in the first place? According to Deuteronomy chapter 8, God supplied the money. Okay, All that we have is from the Lord. Psalm 24, 1, everything. Uh, The whole earth is the Lord's. Okay? And so basically, here's the scenario. God gives you the money, and then he asks for 10% back for, 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 to, to use to worship him and, and to bless you and, and to, to provide for others. It's almost the equivalent of if Tony would come to church, and this would be a great idea for Tony. If Tony were to come to church and he were to give me a check for $1,000, okay? He just writes it out. Check for $1,000. Jason Dirks. You know, and he gives it to me and he says, hey, I'm going to give this to you, Jason, but I'll tell you what I'd like. I'd like for you to joyfully give me a 100 of this back. And, and part of that 100, me and you are going to take today and we're going to go to K-Bob's and uh, we're, we're, we're going to eat, you know? We're going to eat together and we're going to celebrate our friendship. I think that's never happened. But I, I believe with all my heart, I could do that with joy. Okay? 
I, I could do that with joy. It, it would, I, I don't think I would be like, you just gave me $1,000. You want 100 back? Ah, oh, man, that's only going to leave me not. You're only giving me 900 now, you know? And, and I, well, and you're all taking me out to eat. Well, you know, I don't think I would be that way. I mean, I, I really think if that happened, we could try it out. I, we'll see. But if that happened, you know, Tony's giving me, you know, yeah, I think I could do that with joy. And I think if we believe that everything truly comes from God, that my check, it comes from God. My, my ability to work comes from God. My opportunities come from God. The economy comes from God. I mean, it, it, it all comes from God. I think we ought to be able to give with joy. So, so when you can give with joy, it, it says something about you. It says, something, first of all, that you trust God to take care of you. It doesn't, doesn't joyful giving say that? It says, man, I trust God to take care of me. You know what? You can't be joyful if you think you just gave away the money for your utilities. And that you're not going to have anymore. And God's not going to provide. You can't be joyful if that's what you think. You know, if, if, if you think, man, the money I just gave means I can't pay my utilities. And, and in two weeks, I'm going to be showering in the neighbor's sprinkler. And I'm, I'm going to be, you know, cooking in a campfire in the backyard. I mean, if you, if you believe that, if you're convinced this, God is not going to provide, you cannot give joyfully. I mean, if you're, con, if you're convinced about it, you can't give joyfully. The only way you can give joyfully is being convinced God's going to take care of me. Uh, joyful givers have full hearts and they have full hearts because they're convinced number one everything comes from god number two god is not retiring isn't that great he's not retiring he's not downsizing he's not getting tired he's not changed his mind about me and so god's going to provide god's going to be faithful god's going to provide he's going to he's going to provide for tomorrow he's going to provide for next year he's going to provide for when my kids go to college he's going to provide for my retirement i can trust him that's the guy that can give joyfully all right, second principle from, from this passage is they, were, they, they got to share in their gift. Look at verse 23. For the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now, now be careful here. They did not eat the entire tithe, okay? Uh, they didn't eat the tithe, but they ate a portion of it. Okay, now how do I know that? Because later on he talks about, you know, the rest of it goes to Levi, the rest of it goes, after that it goes to the fatherless, the widow, the sojourner, so there were other things that they did with this. And, and, and it's obvious they didn't eat the whole thing. Let's say you got 10 cows, okay? Some of you cattlemen, you got 10, that's, that's your whole herd, that's a pretty small herd, but let's say you got 10, okay? What would be a tithe of that? Tenth of that would be one cow, right? Okay, so if you take one cow and you go to the temple and you're worshiping and you slaughter it there, listen, your family's not going to eat one cow in one setting, okay? If they are, you've got big problems. All right. Or a big family. So your, your, your family's going to eat, you know, five or six steaks or whatever, you know, but there's going to be a lot of that cow left. Okay. And so that, that's kind of the way this went was that they were to share in their gift. Now, is, is that the way New Testament giving works? First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 11. It, it's exactly the way New Testament giving works. It says, if, it, Paul's saying this to the church. If we have sown spiritual things among you, in other words, they're reaping spiritual benefits from the church, from the ministry, from the kingdom. Is it too much that we reap material things from you? And so, so Paul agrees with the Old Testament that, you know, as we give to our church, we share in the benefits of that, right? I mean, we do. Now, some of it goes on, right? I mean, there's a portion of, of, of the tithes and offerings today that will be taken that it goes right on. It goes to the BGCO. It goes to, to our state convention. It goes to uh, three percent of it goes directly to foreign missions uh through the sbc and then we support about uh six or seven other missionaries every month so some of that's going right on but some of it is paying for the air conditioning air conditioning is a theme today by the way have you seen that it's paying for the air conditioning you're enjoying right now 
So you're, you're actually partaking of your gift right now, aren't you? And, and some of it paid for the chairs that you're sitting in right now and the carpet that's on the floor and the sound system and the screens and um, salaries of the, of the staff and, and lots of those things. So in, in a real way, you know, we do partake of the ministry of, of our giving. Uh, Journey Quest going on next week. Part of that. Part of your giving makes that possible. Vacation Bible School, we had arts camp this last week. We've got kids camp coming up. We pay half of every kid's fee. I mean, all, all of those things we're sharing in the ministry of the giving. So that, that meshes with the New Testament. Third, their gift was to take care of God's ministers and the needy. Okay, uh, verse 27. And you shall not neglect the Levite. Okay, that's the priestly class. That's what a Levite is. They run the temple ministry. They handle the, kind of the, the, the ministry of, of worship and, uh, before the Lord. Who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. Look at verse 29. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you. And the sojourner. Who's the sojourner? That, that's the guy wandering through and he's got no place to stay. Okay, Thursday night we had a guy come up after man, man up. Had no place to stay. You guys bought him uh, two nights in a motel and we fixed him up with food. You know, one of our members brought him up, said, hey, man, been visiting with this guy. I fed him tonight. He's, he's, you know, he legitimately has a need. Can the church help him? You guys bought that. Uh, that's part of your ministry. Okay? So, and the sojourn, the fatherless, the widow, okay? people that are needy, who are within your town, shall come and eat and be filled. The Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So, again, is that New Testament principle? It is exactly a New Testament principle. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? Okay, so Paul is referring back to Deuteronomy. And those who serve at the altar share in sacrificial things. He's referring to Deuteronomy. Verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so Paul says, indeed, uh, that principle applies to us as a church. Fourth, this act of giving uh, would be supported by God's blessing. Notice how this passage ends. So you start in verse 22 with this command to bring the tithe. And then it works all the way down to verse 29. The last sentence in verse 29 says this, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Okay? And so, so with this command of giving, there is this promise of God's blessing. Okay? Now, does the New Testament support that? It does. However, let me, let me pause right here and, and, and let's, let's say we need to be careful with how we think about this. Okay? Please don't think about giving as, as God is a vending machine, okay? Uh, I see a lot of that on TV especially, kind of this idea that, it, you know, giving is a way to get rich. It's my get rich plan. You know, it's, it's I really want a new motorcycle. And so, you know, the way that I do that is by giving because if I give, then, then God is, I'm going to manipulate God into having to give to me. And so I'll get my new motorcycle. And, and that, that's, that's, not, that, that's not Old Testament or New Testament. I think that comes from the devil actually. Um, tithing is not a way to manipulate God into giving you lots of money. In fact, when you think that way, you are really actually making an idol of money. You're, you're not worshiping God at all. Those kinds of gifts, the kinds of gifts that say, I want to give so that I'll get rich, so that I'll get more money, that, that, that kind of, of, of thinking actually makes a God out of money, okay? When, when in our minds, our happiness and our joy are dependent upon more cash, that's really what we want. That's really what we're after. That's whole, the end product is I'm trying to get more cash. That, that makes a money out of, uh, that makes an idol out of money. It, that would be like, here's what that would be like. That would be like a woman being sweet to her husband in an attempt to get some money from him so that she can go on a trip to see her lover. Yeah, that, that's bad, you know, I mean, but that's exactly what that's like. If, if my motive when, when I write out a check is, man, this is going to make God have to give me more money. And that's really what I want. 
That's using God to fund my idol. <laughs> okay, that's really bad. No, that's, that's no good. Uh, I don't think God looks highly on that. So we don't want to look at it in that way. However, okay, but let's come back. Is there real blessing involved in giving? Yes, okay, totally yes. Uh, blessed in every way. There, there's a passage here, let me find it. Second uh, Corinthians, I think it's in chapter 9. Um, Verse 11, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to this passage here in a minute. But it says, he says to the, uh, to, the, to the Corinthians about their giving, he says, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. Hear that? That's a promise to stand on. You will be enriched in every way, in every way for all your generosity. Man, I really believe that, that that's an example of, of God just, just pouring his favor out on those who, who worship him, who love him. There's these guys named the Macedonian Christians in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. I want you just to listen to, to their, their testimony of giving here, Paul, Paul's testimony about them in their giving. Um, verse 2 says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Now see, some people think those two could never go together. You know, I mean, there, there's people that think those two never go together. You know, if, if, if I lack material things, I can never be joyful. Well, the Macedonians could, evidently. Because it says in, the, in their, their abundance of joy, in their extreme poverty, they overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their free, own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Man, they're begging for the opportunity to give. Verse 5, and this not as we expected, I love this part, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. So there's, there's this blessing upon these guys' life in, 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 their, in their giving. But notice chapter 9, verse 10 and 11. Uh, I think these are the definitive verses on this. Uh, here, here's the way I would describe this. God loves to give seed to farmers, not elevators. Okay? You know what an elevator is? That big white thing down by the tracks is where people store their grain. Okay? God, God loves to give, give seed to farmers. Okay? What do farmers do with seed? They put it back in the ground. You know, they, they go so more they they're, they're putting it back in to, 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 uh, to have an opportunity for another harvest. Okay. God loves those kind of people. Okay. Who, who, who say, man, God give me so that I can, I can put it out there for the kingdom of God. Look in chapter uh, nine, this is second Corinthians chapter nine, verse 10, 11 it says he who supplies seed to the sower, sowers a farmer, that's a planter. Okay. And bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. Okay, there's another promise. God will supply and multiply your seed. For what? For what? For your luxury? No. For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God makes sure that generous people have plenty to give to others. Here's what I like to think about it. God, God loves to send resources through a pipeline. God doesn't love to send resources to a storage tank. Okay? So really what we got to do is we got to ask ourselves, am I a pipeline or am I a storage tank? You know, when God sends resources into my life, is, do much, does much of that flow out into other places? Does it flow out into my neighbors and into my, my church and into foreign missions and into World Vision and Good Samaritan's, uh, Samaritan's Purse and, and Guatemala Mission Trip and, and uh, meeting needs of the guy at McDonald's that you, that you met this morning? Does it flow out? Does it flow out in other places? Or is it a storage tank? It just goes directly into the Dirks Fund, you know? 
and, and Jason buys things on REI and, you know, goes on vacations with it. I mean, is that all that happens there? There's nothing wrong with buying things on REI or going on vacations. But is that all that happens there or is it a pipeline? And does it flow through? Well, God loves to bless a pipeline. All right, number five. Number five. Tithing is a means by which we learn to fear the Lord our God. Look in verse 23 of our text here. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose uh, to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, uh, your wine, your oil, your, the firstborn of your herd, the flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Okay, that, that's, that, actually, that's probably the primary statement in this, in this passage, is that you need to do this. And the reason you need to do this is so that you learn to fear the Lord your God. What, what does that mean? It does not mean that we're afraid of God in the sense that God's unpredictable, that he's evil, that he's going to rob us, he's going to hurt us. And it doesn't mean that. It means a, a, a reverence, a trembling, a, a shuddering, a, an awe of God. You see, the tithe was a reflection that we know we're in God's hands, that we're not independent of God. We're dependent upon God for everything. We know that we can't make it without him. We know that there's a real, the, the tithe was a real and a tangible expression. That God, man, I know, I'm serious about you. I know that everything I've got comes from you. And I know that I'm accountable to you. And I've got to answer to you. And, and it's a scary thing for me to be outside of your will. I mean, that, that's what tithing teaches us. Fearing God is an expression basically that says, man, God, I know this is serious stuff. God is serious. We're to be serious about God. Now, let me ask you, is tithing the only way that we learn to fear God? No. But tithing is an incredible, incredibly practical, nuts and bolts way to demonstrate, God, I trust you. I trust you with my money. I trust, you. I trust your word. I trust your promises. I trust your provision. Now, are there other ways that we can do that, that we can learn to fear the Lord and show that we trust him? You bet. But I don't know of any that are as definitive as tithing. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Okay. Um, Not worrying. Not worrying is a way to show, God, I fear you and I trust you. I take you serious. You're the big thing in my life. And so, Lord, I'm not going to be anxious about this thing. I'm not going to worry about this thing. I'm going to put my trust in you. Okay. So not worrying is a real way. Both Old and New Testament would say this. Of showing that I fear and trust and love the Lord. But here's the deal. How many of you have a little bit of struggle knowing when exactly you're worrying? That, that's kind of hard, isn't it? You know, am I, am, I, am, I, am I being anxious about this or am I just prayerfully concerned? You know, I mean, really, that's tough. I mean, it's not as clear, is it? I mean, am I stewing over this or, or am I just, you know, giving it an appropriate amount of thought? I mean, that... That's kind of gray. And a lot of people really struggle with, you know, I mean, it's easy to fool ourselves about that. But let me, let me tell you guys, whether you give 10% or more of your paycheck to God, there's nothing gray about that. I mean, if you've got fifth grade math skills, you can figure that out. You know, how much do you make? Do I give this? You know, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the tithe is it's, it's really easy for us to see. Okay, yes, I do. or No, I don't. All right. We've looked at this passage, we've pulled some truths out, and what I, what I think we've seen is everything we've pulled out is affirmed in the New Testament. All right, now back to the beginning question. Is, is the tithe, is it for us? Is God saying to this church, I want you to give 10% or more? Um, here's the interesting thing. 
It's hardly ever mentioned in the New Testament. The word tithe, it's only in, it only occurs in the New Testament two times, twice. And neither of those times are really, one actually is, is, is a guy who's lost, you know, and he's, but he's tithing and he's bragging, you know, he's bragging about, hey, look how religious I am. You know, and God says, man, you're, you're, you're going to hell. You know, because you're, you're not saved. You're not joined to Jesus. That's in, in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. The other time is Matthew 23, 23. And he's talking to, again, talking to some religious folks. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and, and cumin and, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus tells them, yeah, you should have tithed. That's fine. But, but you missed these great big things. You know, that, that, that are actually more important in, in, in your faith. Um, so does Jesus affirm the tithe there? Well, sort of. But again, he's talking to Jewish folks and the cross hasn't happened yet. And so a lot of people are going to say it's still kind of Old Testament. Um, Paul doesn't mention it at all. Thirteen books in the New Testament, Paul does not mention it one time. Now, giving is mentioned a bunch. Second Corinthians 8, Second Corinthians 9. All kinds of stuff about giving. All kinds of stuff about not loving money. Okay, there's all kinds of stuff in the New Testament about being content with what we have. I mean, really giving, really giving is about not buying, isn't it? I mean, what John Piper said one time. He says giving is really about not buying. You know, I mean, I mean that's what it is. It's about being content with what I have. Saying this stuff's not going to satisfy me. I, I mean, a lot of folks, I really think they want to give, but their problem is they they can't not spend, and so they they spend it all, and then there's nothing to give. All kinds of stuff in the New Testament about not being covetous, not worshiping money. Uh, just not a lot about this 10% thing. So what do we make about that? Uh, I guess we could say, okay, all the principles about giving still apply to New Testament believers, but we just don't have any kind of guidance about how much. But that actually wouldn't be true. Because there are, there are actually percentages that are lifted up in the New Testament. Okay, they're pretty radical, though. <laughs> you ready for this? Uh, the widow, Luke chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. Jesus stops all the disciples and says, hey, look at this. Look, here's, here's your giver. And remember, remember it? Remember the story? She gives how much? How much for, how many, what was her percentage of giving? A hundred. hundred percent. How about Barnabas? Remember, he's lifted up uh, as an example in the early church. Uh, Acts chapter 4. Uh, he sells the people a piece of property. And how, how much of that? Pete, so he's got this income all of a sudden. What percentage does he give to the Lord? 100. He gives the whole thing. Uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he's, he's not as good. Okay, he, he gets saved and repents and, and he tells Jesus, I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor. He gives 50. So we got 100, we got 100, we got 50. Um, Jesus told the rich young ruler, I don't know if this has as much application, but he tells the rich young ruler, doesn't do it, but he, he tells the rich young ruler to give everything he's got. To, so we do have percentages in the New Testament, but <laughs> um, they're really high, okay? Uh, now I'm not saying, and, and I'm, I'm not, and I don't think the New Testament is saying that's the command for Christians, Okay. But, but I do think what I am saying is, I am not sure that we should say, I'm not sure that we should make the jump, hey, this tithe has no application for us because the New Testament teaches something different. Well, it does teach something different. But I'm not, I don't see a lot of people jumping on that percentage as well. Um, but things are different in the New Testament. How are they different? Well, they're different than we know about Jesus. 
that Jesus has died for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. They're different in, than in the day of Moses. They're different in that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. They're different in that we know we are forgiven through the blood of Christ. They're different in that we know Jesus is coming back. He's going to establish the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwell. And we're going to spend every day with him in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Things are different, but here's, here's where my heart is. Let me just tell you where my heart is. I can't imagine us saying, because of all this, we want to give less than they did in the Old Testament. Um, so if you're looking for a percentage, I'm not going to give it to you. I, I don't think I should. Um, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, let each give as he's purpose in his heart. Um, if you want to know where I stand personally, I've, we've always used the tithe as kind of a bottom mark. We're going to give at least this. But we're going to try to give more. We're going to, we're going to try to spend as, you know, be as wise as we can, take care of our family, but we're going to try to give upwards of that. But let me tell you, church, and, and I think I need to say this. There's no compulsion here, okay? Let me give you our heartbeat as a church, okay? We're not trying to get your money. You guys affirm that? Here, here's what I would tell you as your pastor. Now, our financial guy may, may differ from this, but here's what I'd tell you as your pastor. If you're not happy about giving, I say don't. Now, not just like don't forever, but I say, man, you need to get your heart right. I mean, if it's, if it's a drudgery and if you feel guilted and if you're just in angst about giving, then man, I say go home and pray. <laughs> go home and Say, okay, God, you know, show me. Have you provided? Do I believe that you've given me everything? Do I believe that you're going to provide for me? Do I believe in the work of the kingdom? Do I believe in the work of this church? I mean, I'd say go, get, go, go check your heart, you know? Certainly, I, I, don't, I don't want you ever to feel like we're, we're trying to... No, that's not it. We're concerned about your heart. And oh, let me go even further. If you're not a Christian here today, listen, giving is, is last on, on your to-do list, Okay? If you're not a Christian here today, man, that, that's not, we're not even there, okay? Don't even worry about that. Don't, don't give me more thought to that. Here's what you need to give thought to. You need to give thought to you're a sinner, okay? You're at odds with God. You're, you're, you're broken inter- internally. And, and your only hope of being right with God and being forgiven of your sins and, and, and being whole and being filled with power to overcome sin, your only hope for that is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He is the Lamb of God. He's your sacrifice. And you've got to turn away from your sin today and you've got to put your faith in Him. That's what's on your plate today. I mean, it'd really be kind of silly for you to resist the kingdom of God in your own life and try to fund the kingdom of God. I mean, that, that's silly. You need to get it right in your own life first. That's really our heart for you um, as a church. It's a blessing to give. It's a joy to give. Man, let's, let's pray that God would bring us to that point where we say, God, it's, it's a lot of fun to give to you. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for, uh, for the word of God. I thank you, Jesus, for uh, your truth. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you are such a good provider. God, I look at my life. God, you've met every need. God, you have never let us down. God, you have a 100% faithfulness rate. Um, you provided. God, you've given us contentment in the areas that, that we needed to have. God, you're good. You're faithful. We can trust you. And God, today, I pray that, that our worship time would be full of joy and full of celebration of all that you've done. God, we love you. Uh, please give us the, that kind of heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.